Good morning. Today is March 17th, 2021. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Uh, you are gathered with us here today for our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. Come to you each morning about 9 a.m. Uh, to do so. Today is Wednesday, uh, and our tradition during Lent, of course, is to have a special Lenten series in the evenings. Uh, considering the martyrs of the church today, it'll be St. Stephen. Um, but also then in the morning, I've been uh, taking a break, and we've been considering uh, the various acts of just outright murder in the scripture uh, and the cause for them. Unfortunately, I do not see our connection improving at all. I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. Uh, so unpredictable. All right, well, hopefully it comes back here shortly. Maybe now. All right, good. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. See our memory verse for this week. Let me put it up on the screen for you there. There you go. Love bears all things, believes all things hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7 through 8. And our psalm, the second half of Psalm 109. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Good. It seems as if our network connection has improved. Excellent. Our first reading today is from Romans chapter 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. 
Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There ends the reading. All right. Um, You note uh, this reading is Romans chapter 12. So this has come after lengthy catechesis from St. Paul um, on the life of the baptized, the life of the Christian, being both simultaneously uh, sinner and saint. So how to relate to one another um, as saints of God who also recognize their inherent sinfulness, and actually the sinfulness of all men. And it's not easy. (laughs) You want to give everyone 100% from day one, that is, trust them in everything that they say and do, regardless of whether they have authority or they're simply just a neighbor or a friend. Um, It's no way to go through life distrusting everyone. On the other hand, you are called uh, to test all those, especially those in authority, um, and to speak um, truth in love, to those who um, are, are in error, right? Uh, that's not easy to do, especially it's not easy for parents to children, it's not easy for teachers um, to their students, it's not easy for pastors to their congregation um, because it ultimately undermines um, something that, if it's a lie, but a lie that's held dear, um, that requires sacrifice, it requires pain even. Uh, and so um, note how um, Paul then speaks in terms of wisdom. Right, and this is coming straight out of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, especially uh, both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, as two examples, uh, books that we're not really all that terribly familiar with, and um, uh, don't really apply that much <laughs> to our life as Christians, uh, which I think is a oversight and maybe one that we can remedy. And so you note how Paul then gives instruction in wisdom and in life here, um, many of which uh, may offend you or make at least make your life seem more challenging rather than easier. <laughs> uh, bless those who persecute you, for example, just by way of example. All right, we'll talk more about that in a moment. All right, and as I said, we've been considering uh, various murders uh, each morning. Next week, of course, will be Stephen again on Wednesday, the three men in the fiery furnace the week after that, Holy Week. Um, Herod murders the children was last week, Ahab with Naboth and Cain and Abel a few weeks ago. So today. Herod Antipas murders John the Baptist. Mark 6. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. And others said, It is Elijah. And others said, It is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, This is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent, and laid hold of John, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to take your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he did many things, and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles and the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias's daughter 
herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him. The king said to the girl, Ask me whatever uh, you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in and with haste um, to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. All right, so a few things to say. Um, on, the, on the one hand, uh, we have, uh, obviously, a murder. And what's the murder for? John the Baptist, um, a lay preacher, preaching the, preaching the law, in particular, uh, to a secular ruler. Herod, who is not even a Christian, and yet John still speaks the truth to him. Again, in love, for his correction, for his uh, reproof. Uh, So Herod, though in his uh, anger, throws him in prison, um, but still respects him, ironically. Um, So uh, (laughs) the second thing to note here, of course, is this isn't the first time we're going to meet a feckless ruler, Um, Herod being one, Herod Antipas here, um, but we'll also meet, of course, Pontius Pilate, um, and there's many more. Read the book of Acts. You'll find more. Uh, So to say that uh, pastors don't and rather the church, even by extension, don't interact with secular rulers, requires you to deny what the scripture says, and actually the witness of uh, the scriptures. You have, um, we talked about Zechariah last week, um, speaking against the king. Does not go well for him, but that's not the point. Um, We are here to preach both law and gospel, law to those uh, who live in sin, and gospel to those who repent of their ways and want to do better, right? All right. Um, and we had a similar uh, statement here made as well in uh, Romans 12. Now, Romans 12 is applied in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession article. Which article was I going to share with you? Article 16. All right. So the Augsburg Confession, the theological constitution of the Lutheran Church, if you like. That's what I like to call it. Um, it's actually part of our official um, name. Of course, it's in our constitution itself, as that um, we govern ourselves according to the word of God and its faithful confession in the Lutheran Confessions, which include, of course, the Apology, the Augsburg Confession. So uh, Article 16 is on political order. Oh, wait. I thought the Bible didn't say anything about government and doesn't have anything to say. And we ought not have anything to say. And yet here we have a bold confession about political order. So I thought I'd share this with you. Um, It's not too long, so uh, I think we can share the whole thing. The adversaries, that would be the Roman Church, accept Article 16 from the uh, Augsburg Confession without exception. This is now the apology, the defense. In it, we have confessed that it is lawful for Christian to hold public office, sit in judgment, determine matters by imperial laws and other laws currently in force, set just punishments, engage in just wars, act as a soldier, make legal contracts, hold property, take an oath when public officials require it, and contract in marriage. Finally, we have confessed that legitimate public ordinances are good creations of God and divine ordinances, which a Christian can safely use. Note the qualification there, legitimate public ordinances. 
Um, I want to check another translation of this. Okay, here we go. Uh, uh, lawful civil ordinances are good. God's good creatures and divine ordinances in which a Christian may safely take part. All right. The writings of our theologians have profitably illumined this whole question of the distinction between Christ's kingdom and a political kingdom. Christ's kingdom is spiritual. It is the knowledge of God in the heart, the fear of God and faith, the beginning of eternal righteousness and eternal life. All right? So just clear, that's what Christ's kingdom is about. It's not of this world. It's not of this earth. Spiritual. It's of knowledge of God, fear of God, faith, eternal righteousness, and eternal life. At the same time, it makes us it, it lets us make outward use of the political ordinances of the nation in which we live, just as it lets us make use of medicine or architecture, food or drink or air, right? So we're free to use the nation in which we live, just like we do with medicine and architecture, food, drink, or air. The gospel does not introduce any new laws about the civil estate, but commands us to obey the existing laws, whether they are formulated by heathen or by others, and in the obedience, in this obedience to practice love. It was mad of Karlstadt to, to try to impose on us the judicial laws of Moses. So Karlstadt being um, initially a friend of Luther, Andreas Karlstadt, um, but then later rebels against him. And is, Luther writes extensively against him, especially in his work against the heavenly prophets in 1525. All right. Our theolo uh, and again, this is all under the, the, the uh, uh, umbrella, I, sh I suppose, statement of lawful civil ordinances. All right. We're free to, to obey them regardless of who institutes them. Our theologians have written extensively on this subject because the monks had broadcast many dangerous ideas through the church. They called it an evangelical state to hold property in common. And they uh, called it an evangelical council not to own property or not to go to court. These, serious, these ideas seriously obscure the gospel and the spiritual kingdom, and they are dangerous to the state. All right. So any kind of Christian utopian society is both obscures the gospel and the spiritual kingdom and is dangerous to the state. We live in the world, just not of the world, right? For the gospel does not destroy the state or the family, but rather approves them. And it commands us to obey them as divine ordinances, not only from fear of punishment, but also for the sake of conscience. Romans 13.5. Julian the Apostate, Celsus, and many others opposed the Christians on the grounds that their gospel would destroy the commonwealth by its prohibition of legal redress and by other teachings that were not suited to civil relationships. These questions were very disturbing to Origen, Nanziansus, and others, these are church fathers, and though they are very easy to answer if we keep certain things in mind. The gospel does not legislate for the civil estate, right? but is the forgiveness of sins and the beginning of eternal life in the hearts of believers. Right? That's why uh, the state has no forgiveness of sins. Not even pardoning is really forgiveness. It not only approves governments, but subjects us to them, just as we are necessarily subjected to the laws of the seasons and to the change of winter and summer as ordinances of God. The gospel does uh, forbid private revenge, which, we just, uh, which you can see there on the screen in Romans 12. And Christ stresses this so often, lest the apostles think that they should usurp the government from those who hold it, as in the Jewish dream of the messianic kingdom. Instead, he would have them know that their duty to teach that the spiritual kingdom does not change the civil government. Thus, private revenge is forbidden not as an evangelical counsel, but as a command. There again, Romans 12 uh, in specific, 12 verse, you see it there, verse 9, right? Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, 
no, not 12 verse 9. Hold on. Uh, 12 verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. All right. So we give that over to the civil government, who are the agents of God for that purpose. Not, our, not ourselves, not personal vengeance. Uh, public redress through a judge, that's redress for grievances, as we call it in the First Amendment, is not forbidden, but expressly commanded. And it is a work of God, according to Paul, Romans 13. Now, the various kinds of public redress are court decisions, punishments, wars, military service. How poor the judgment of many writers in these matters has been evident from their, from their erroneous view that the gospel is something external, a new or monastic form of government. Right? So very clear about this. The church does not command a form of government. Thus, they fail to see that the gospel brings eternal righteousness to hearts while it approves the civil government. The gospel, while it doesn't command the civil government, it approves it. Huh. For what purpose, right? We're going to get to that. It is also false to claim that Christian perfection consists in not holding property. What makes for Christian perfection is not contempt of civil ordinances, but attitudes of the heart, like a deep fear of God and a strong faith. Though they were wealthy and held high positions, Abraham, David, and Daniel were no less perfect than any hermit. The monks impressed men with, their, with this outward hypocrisy and blinded them to the essence of real perfection. How they have praised the theory that the gospel requires us to hold all property in common. And from that, they get it, they get it from Acts chapter 2, which we heard on Sunday. Such praise is dangerous, especially because it is so out of harmony with the scriptures. Scripture does not command holding property in common, but by its command, you shall not steal. The Decalogue recognizes that right ownership and commands everyone to possess his own. Wycliffe was obviously out of his mind in claiming that priests were not allowed to own property. Right? So, uh, you know, John Wycliffe, he wrote, uh, um, what is it, about maybe 100 years before Luther? Okay, before the Reformation. Our theologians have explained this whole matter of political affairs so clearly that many good men involved in politics and in business have testified how they were helped after the theories of the monks had troubled them and put them in doubt whether the gospel permitted such public and private business. Right? So that the gospel actually sets you free to serve your neighbor in public office and through business. Hmm. It maybe affects how you conduct your office and how you conduct your business. Right? Um, but it is, you're set free to do that. We have repeated our position here so that those outside our group, that is outside of the Lutheran Confession, may understand that our doctrine does not weaken, but rather strengthens the authority of magistrates and the value of civil ordinances generally. The importance of this has been obscured by foolish monastic theories which put a hypocritical poverty and humility far above the state and family, even, those, um, even though these have God's command, while the Platonic commune does not have God's command. All right, so that utopia, that Platonic commune, does not have God's command, where we sell all of our possessions and we all live together in harmony, <laughs> which you could saw was uh, repeated in a secular way, uh, I suppose, in the 70s with those communes as well, right? all those utopian ideas. All right. So note here what's really important. Uh, maybe actually I should go back and just look at the uh, Augsburg Confession as well. Give me a moment. Uh, civil government. There it is. It's not very long, so I'll just share this. It is taught among us that all government in the world and all established rule and laws were instituted and ordained by God for the sake of good order, and that Christians may, without sin, occupy civil offices or serve as princes and judges, render decisions and pass sentence according to imperial and other existing laws, 
punish evildoers with the sword, engage in just wars, serve as soldiers, buy and sell, take required oaths, possess property, be married, etc. Condemned here are the Anabaptists who's, who teach that none of these things indicated above is Christian. Also condemned are those who teach that Christian perfection requires the forsaking of house and home, wife and child, and the renunciation of such activities as are mentioned above. Actually, true perfection consists alone of the proper fear of God and real faith in God. For the gospel does not teach an outward or temporal, but an inward and eternal mode of existence and righteousness of the heart. The gospel does not overthrow civil authority, the state, and marriage, but requires that all these be kept as true orders of God, and that everyone, each according to his own calling, manifest Christian love and genuine good works in his station of life. Accordingly, Christians are obliged to to be subject to civil authority and obey its commands and laws in all that can be done, here's the key, without sin. But when commands of the civil authority cannot be obeyed without sin, we must obey God rather than men. All right. So the Augsburg Confession establishes quite well uh, how we are to relate to civil authority, right? And um, is uh, so in the case of John the Baptist, just to use that example, uh, was he out of line by telling Herod Antipas um, that it was unlawful for him to marry his brother's wife? That is, commit adultery with her and, and to steal his his brother's wife away. Of course not. Of course not, because. Um, that is according to natural law, right? The law that God has written upon our hearts. Um, and actually, he's bringing disgrace upon his civil office, the, God, the office that God has established, right? Um, notice that it's done in Christian love um, according to his station in life. So uh, this begs the question then, right? Does John the Baptist within his station have permission to speak to rulers and to kings? Well, of course he does. And St. Paul even admonishes his pastors to speak to kings and rulers and to speak the truth to them, of course, in love, always in love, but especially where they, where they are um, manifesting laws that are unlawful, that is against God's law. Because uh, then you put Christians, of course, in, in a difficult position where we are uh, commanded to love God or to, to obey God rather than men. And so when a, when a uh, lawful estate that has been established by God becomes unlawful according to God's word, they must be disobeyed. Uh, some of this is maybe a little bit outside the scope of the Lutheran confessions, because remember, all of these, the Lutheran princes <laughs> who signed this document are the civil rulers who are also faithful men, um, you know, faithfully attend to God's word. So they're not um, looking around amongst themselves and thinking about, you know, uh, it's, these aren't lay people criticizing politicians. Rather, these are politicians who actually signed this document. Uh, they didn't write it, Melanchthon did, but they signed it. All right, so uh, the scale or scope of the possibilities of unjust ruler, they're not thinking maybe um, in the sense of like the broadly atheistic rulers that we have today. So just another side note. All right. What are we doing? Um, all right, going a little bit long. Sorry about that. Let's confess what hearers owe their pastors. Uh, and actually, this week I gave you a bit more than what was actually required, but that's okay. We confess, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Galatians 6, verses 6 through 7. 
The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17-18 through We pray. O Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you for the gift of pastors who preach your saving gospel and administer your life-giving sacraments to us. Crucify our flesh and destroy all impenitence and unbelief in us, so that we, who have received faithful instruction in the word, might provide generously for the support of our pastors. Teach us to believe that our pastors who faithfully sow the seed and tread out the grain of your word are worthy of their wages and entitled to reap from what they have sown. Teach us to believe that preaching and teaching your word is the most important work that our pastors do, so that we might so that we might honor and support them in this work, live together with them in peace and of, in the peace of your forgiveness, and hold them in the highest regard and love for the sake of the gospel. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let's see, today being Wednesday, we pray for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children live in ordered harmony according to the word of God. We pray for parents who must rear their children alone for our communities and neighborhoods. Pray for an end to all schisms and causes of offense, to bring into the way of truth all who have erred and deceived, that the Lord would beat down Satan under our feet, that he would send faithful laborers into his harvest, that he would accompany his word with his grace and truth, that he would forgive our enemies, persecutors, and slanderers, and turn their hearts, and that he would give and preserve for our use the kindly fruits of the earth. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray today for those who celebrate uh, their birthday, Rebecca and Austin. Pray for those who rejoice in their baptism, Ryder, Taylor, and Alexandria. Pray for those who are ill and receiving treatment or recovering, especially Tristan, Marcella, Kelsey, Amanda, John, Timothy, Sandy, and Linda, Ken, Aaron, and Penny. Pray for our homebound, Bev, David, Willis, and Janice, and Mickey. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially Camp Luisimo and Pastor Bloss. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray the collect for this week. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, your mercies are new every morning. And though we deserve only punishment, you receive us as your children and provide for all our needs of body and soul. Grant that we may heartily acknowledge your merciful goodness Give thanks for all your benefits and serve you in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Today is, of course, the commemoration of St. Patrick at St. Patrick's Day, my son's namesake. Um, So, I'll share a little meditation with you on that. Patrick is one of the best known of the missionary saints. Born to a Christian family in Britain around AD 389, he was captured as a teenager by raiders, taken to Ireland, and forced to serve as a herdsman. After six years, he escaped and found his way to a monastery community in France. Ordained a bishop, it is believed that Patrick made his way back to Ireland in the summer of 433, and there spent the rest of his long life spreading the gospel and organizing Christian communities. He strongly defended the doctrine of the Holy Trinity in a time when it was not popular to do so. 
His literary legacy includes his autobiography, Confession, and several prayers and hymns still used in the church today. As a matter of fact, we sang on Sunday, I bind myself unto thee today, St. Patrick's breastplate. That was our closing hymn on Sunday. At least one tradition states that Patrick died in Ireland on March 17th, around the year AD 466. Right, so I bind unto thee myself today, the strong name of the Trinity. Right. All right, let's pray. Almighty God, you chose your servant Patrick to be a missionary to the Irish people who were wandering in the darkness and in error. You bound unto them the Trinitarian name through baptism and faith that they might dwell in the light of Christ. Bind unto us this strong name of the same strong name of the Trinity as we remember our baptism and walk in his light, that we may come to dwell at last in the eternal light of the presence of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe might, may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we'll sing stanzas one and two of our hymn of the week, Jesus Priceless Treasure. Try to memorize this if you're able. comes my fear 
lightnings flash and thunders crash, yet though sin and hell assail me, Jesus will not fail me. All right, a blessed St. Patrick's Day to you all. It's good to have you with us. It's funny how we celebrate St. Patrick's Day, but we don't celebrate so many of the other saints' days. <laughs> this minor saint, especially among German Lutherans. Give me a break. Uh, but of course, I have Scotch-Irish blood, so I feel somewhat justified in recognizing uh, Patrick and having a son, Patrick, as they say in uh, Gaelic. All right. So uh, Lord be with you all uh, and keep you safe today. And of course, join us this evening for our evening prayer at 7 p.m. live streaming from a sanctuary, uh, ideally though, in person, if you're at all able. So Lord be with you all and we'll see you again this evening.